right, good morning, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. And um, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we are going to spend the month of February, four weeks, uh, in a series entitled, How We Ought to Give. Um, and this is, in our, in our few years of uh, being a church, this is the first time that we have uh, taken uh, time, actually, in the preaching schedule to talk about giving. And so there's a few things this morning that I want to start, I have to start by, um, inter- to, to introduce this and set up so that hopefully this, uh, this sermon series will accomplish uh, what it is that we are praying and hoping that it will accomplish. And, and, and so the, the, the first thing that I, I want to do is comment uh, quickly on that, um, obviously, some of you have already um, inside, and the posture of your heart has already closed your ears because you heard the word money and talking about money. And so what we don't want to do as a church, what we don't want to do as individuals, um, what we don't want to do as disciples is sin by talking too much about money. Like, we don't want to err right on the side as a church. We all, this is what we're all afraid of. And so typically what happens, and, 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 and most likely this has been our response in the first few years of our planting, is, is because we don't want to become this, we sway all the way to the exact opposite, and we don't want to do that either, which is sin by not talking about it and not recognizing money as what Jesus uh, uh, described it as. Uh, it, it's, it's where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Uh, money is an amazing diagnostic tool of what we are worshiping, and that's where we're going to start this series today. But uh, in these next four weeks, we are going to talk about giving. Uh, and what I hope and, and what my prayer is, is that it is in a God-honoring and a heart-challenging way. We don't want to shy away from the challenges of giving. We don't want to shy away from the challenges of God calling us uh, to to give our entire lives to Him. And then also let me tell you that the purpose of this series is rather than telling you guys, and this is kind of our approach to giving, um, rather than telling people what percentage to give, we want to equip people with a framework from which they can faithfully steward all of their money. You see, being faithful with your money isn't just about how much you give, but it's about what you do with the rest of it. Right, And so we want to, through this series, I want to provide a framework, a biblical framework of how it is that we are to give, how we ought to give. Now in this, what you also need to know is two things, is that one, this series is not designed to instruct us on the truth that we should give, and two, it's not designed to instruct us on why we should give. But I want us to look at how we are to give, the posture by which we are to give. So in that, there are four assumptions that I'm making in this entire series. Number one is the assumption that we are to give, okay? That I'm assuming that. I'm assuming uh, the, that we all realize that we are to give. So that's the first assumption that I'm making. And on any of these assumptions, or if... if um, if you struggle or wonder about uh, whether or not we actually are to give or why we are to give, then those are tremendous conversations to have in your missional communities around the dinner table, 
Those are great conversations to have in your men's and women's groups, okay? But that's not the design of this. So if that's what you're looking for uh, and you're constantly waiting for me to get to the Bible verse that says that I am to give 10%, it's not going to happen in this series because that's not the design of the series. The second assumption that we are making is that we are to give to our church. That not only are we to give financially, but, but the majority of the money that we do set aside to give is to go to our own local church. Giving outside of the church is amazing. It is great. But it should not replace or be in lieu of what we give to our local church, the, 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 the place or the family that God has called us to, to be a part of. The third assumption that I'm believing that we all know and agree on is that we are free from the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law in our place. We are free from the law. The last assumption that I'm making in this, and this might be the most... Um, um, controversial, I guess, is that we are to view tithing as the floor for giving and not the ceiling. Each one of these builds on the next. My first assumption that we are to give, obviously, number two is based, uh, giving to our church um, tells us that that assumes in itself that we are to give, right? Number three, we are free from the law because of the work, the righteous and perfect work that Jesus did on our behalf. And number four, we are to view tithing as the floor for our giving and not the ceiling. Think about the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you that if you, you've heard it said that do not murder, right? But then he goes, I tell you that if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. You've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I tell you that if you look upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so it is that same teaching of Jesus that helps us build out our framework for giving, is that tithing, and the word tithe, so you know, is actually the definition of tithing is 10%. So when we say we're to view tithing, we say we're to view giving 10% as the floor and not the ceiling. And so what we're saying by that is like our aim should not be to reach 10% and then call it good and put it on autopilot the rest of our lives. But that if we truly are continually being renewed by God's grace and giving our lives more and more to God, then that 10% by God's grace will sometime grow to who knows how much it is. Okay? And we're going to cover how some of this obviously works out in practicality. But this morning's message is the banner under which all the other aspects of our giving find their rest. And that is that we are to give, we ought to give worshipfully. We ought to give as an act of worship. And so we're going to spend a good bit of time this morning looking at what is worship. We're going to define worship together. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to see how in our text uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that, that it was their worship or it was their giving of themselves to God that fueled their giving of their money. So let's read together 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 7. I'll pray, and we'll get into this. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's telling them about another group of believers in another church in another city, Macedonia. He says, For in a severe test 
of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Verse 6, accordingly we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. God, I pray this morning that um, you're, you're, you would help um, my words to be true to your heart. Father God, that my words would, um, that you would use them in the way that only your spirit can, God, that would show us our areas of unbelief, Lord. That your spirit would be active, God, that your word would, would accomplish the purpose that you promise it will. I pray, God, that we would... Um, we would grow. No matter how much we give now, God, I pray, God, that you would challenge us to grow in our giving. I pray specifically this morning, God, that you would help us, that you would challenge us and help us to see, God, where maybe we don't give as an act of worship, God, and that we would repent from that and that we begin to view giving as an act of worship. God, this is a tall task, one that can only be accomplished by the power of the living God. Amen. Mark Driscoll, in his book entitled Doctrine, What Christians Should Believe, he opens up his chapter, which if I remember right, it's chapter 11, but he opens up his chapter on worship by saying this. He says, in ancient cultures, social life revolved around sanctuaries, temples, and stadiums. There, various gods and goddesses were worshipped as people gave their time, talent, and treasure as sacrifices to the adoration of their deity. Even the building themselves... Uh, were built, even the buildings, excuse me, even the buildings themselves were built as acts of worship. And today, this is still Driscoll, he says, and today little has changed. And how appropriate we start this and we look at this on Super Bowl Sunday. The amount of money that has gone into building this place of worship where people have given and are given. I, I read an article this week. Check this I couldn't even imagine having this much money. This guy dropped $21,000 on two Super Bowl tickets, and he didn't tell his wife. I hope she got the second ticket at least. $21,000. In my entire life, I've only bought one vehicle for more than $21,000. 21 grand on two Super Bowl tickets, and he didn't tell his wife. We see a beautiful picture today of what Driscoll is describing here. How, although this was how it was uh, by design in ancient times, it is still how it works itself out today. We, don't, we obviously don't call that worship. Nobody is going to say, hey, I'm going to the house of worship in San Francisco today, right? And I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going I'm to pay my, uh, my, my tithing, right, to the God of football. We don't say that, but we're deceived because that's what's happening. Now, can we enjoy football? Of course. It's God's, praise God for common grace. 
right? Yes, we can enjoy it. And yes, we can enjoy it in a way that redeems it to where we, like Rico was saying, we're, we're missional about it. We're intentionable, intentionable. We're intentional about the parties we go to or the parties we throw. Harold Best, in his, his um, book, which is kind of the benchmark for books on worship, it's called Unceasing Worship. He wrote this. He said, worship, he's defining worship. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of God. Mark Driscoll, again, in his book on, on doctrine, he defines worship this way. He says, worship is a biblically faithful understanding of God combined with a biblically faithful response to Him. And what I love about Driscoll's definition of worship is this. It's centered around Scripture. He's not saying that we get to decide who God is and how we're going to worship God. And when it comes to our money and our gifts and, our, and even our work, we're going to talk about our work a little bit today. We have to understand that we are not the ones that decide, God, this is good enough for you. God, this is my worship for you. And so for us, what we're going to define worship as, this is going to be our working definition of worship. Worship is the ongoing act of giving oneself to God in light of who He is and what He has done as it's been revealed to us in Scripture. You see, it's not just the act of giving ourselves to God, but it's the act of giving ourselves to God because of who He is and what He has done. It's not a blind obligation or a, or a morally good thing to do, but it's the giving of ourselves to Him because we have, He has revealed to Himself to us. He has revealed to us how good He is. And He has shown to us how good He is. And so because of that, and because we allow Scripture to, to define that for us, we give ourselves to Him. Listen, guys. Anything, anything other than the ongoing <clears throat> giving of ourselves to God because of who He is and what He has done, as it's been revealed to us in Scripture, is idolatry. It's idolatry. Think of your life. Got a little bunch of little guys in here today, right? If your guys, look at me. If your lives are defined by your ongoing giving of yourself to Legos because of what they are and what they do for you, then that's sinful. It's okay to enjoy Legos. It's good. But when your life is defined by and, and everything you do and all of your waking time and your first thoughts and your money is all towards Legos, then that's sinful. And adults, it's the same for us. Hopefully not with Legos. Although I do know some, we won't go there today. Stay on track. I've got a lot. Us giving ourselves, even to our work, above God, is taking a good thing, just as Legos are good things for young boys and girls, and it's turning it into a sinful thing because we have elevated it to a place of worship. We take it from a place of enjoyment and elevate it to a thing of worship. And as John Calvin has famously written, our hearts are a perpetual factory of idols. 
what that means is it's, it's natural, it's intuitive, it's instinctive for our hearts to find something to worship. And sadly, there are even many people gathering together today that are worshiping what they think is God, but it's a God that is not defined by Scripture, and they are wrong. Their intentions might be good, but they're wrong. And it's not worship. And it's not acceptable before God because they are not worshiping Him for who He actually is and what He has actually done. God is worth our worship. God is the only God who gives life. He doesn't demand it. He gives life. God is the only God that, makes a, that has made a way for forgiveness. Think about if we believed, as many people do, if we believed that the way to receive and enjoy and prosper in God's love and forgiveness is by working for it. How tiring and taxing that would be. That's why Jesus says, come to me all who are laden and weary and you'll find rest. All you who who find and give your worship to something other than me, I provide the rest. This is why you're tired. You're trying to create for yourself something that you're trying to, to cause something to bring about peace and forgiveness and acceptance that can't give it. And when it fails you, you're forced to either go find a new idol or you're forced to pick up that idol and prop it back up. So look at me with verse 5 here. I want you to see this from our text. Now remember, the, the, the basis of this is of, of Paul's letters to the Corinthians are, are, are pretty harsh. They had some pretty harsh issues going on in their church. Pretty harsh issues. And so Paul wrote to them because he had heard about their issues, but he had also wrote to them because they had written a letter to him asking a bunch of questions. Really, it wasn't really questions, though, that they're like they're earnestly seeking God, right? They're questions of like, of trying to find loopholes so that they can continue to do the things that their sinful hearts want to do. So that's why Paul's response to them in many areas is pretty harsh, because he's trying to get them to see the error of their ways, the selfishness of their ways, and how they are not wanting to worship God as he is, but they're wanting to get God to kind of fit into who they want him to be. But in verse 5 here, when speaking of the Macedonian church, and isn't that... Isn't that um, Encouraging to us that, that Paul uses another church somewhere to encourage believers in another church. Sometimes we steer away from that. Rightfully so, a lot of times. But as we gathered for our family night and we talked about some of our leaders and we gave examples of why they're worth following, that's what Paul is doing. Paul's saying these guys, they, they, they first, in verse 5, he says, first they gave themselves to God, to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. The ESV Study Bible says this in the commentary on that verse. It says, What surprised Paul was that the Macedonians also gave themselves first to the Lord, or that it was a recommitment of their lives. So what is he saying? He's saying, Paul's saying they gave themselves to the Lord. They worshipped God. Before they even began to give, before they answered the call, right before they passed the basket, they gave themselves to God. They worshipped And what they realize is that worship 
and giving yourself to God in worship that money is a part of giving yourself. And in verse 7, Paul tells them that as you excel in everything, he's encouraging that, that as you excel in faith, as you excel in speech, as you excel in, in knowledge and learning about God, as you excel in earnestness and doing good works, and as, um, in our lo- as they excel in their love for them, he says, see that you also excel in this act of grace. And so Paul is, is telling, Paul is, is telling, is, is, is exampling the way that the Macedonians responded to God and who he is and how that propelled them, how that drove them to give. And, and, and it's amazing that it says that not only did they give of their means, but then out of no obligation, out of no prompting from me, Paul says, Paul didn't like, okay, here's the picture. What Paul's saying is he's saying, we didn't pass the plate, and then I stood in the back room and I counted it, and I said, no, that's not enough. Let's pass it again. Give more. That's not what happened. They gave, and then they gave more. Not out of compulsion, but because they gave themselves to the Lord. So Paul encourages the Corinthian church to excel in this act of grace, or if we can, to excel in this act of worship, which is the giving of their money. Now, in the rest of the time that I have this morning, I want to talk about three ways Three things that it means to give worshipfully. Like I want to, I want this to be a very practical um, um, message for us, so that we can actually understand and we can compare what it means to give worshipfully with the way that maybe we have been giving. The first thing that it means is it means that we don't separate money from worship. In order for us to give worshipfully, we must see our giving as an act of worship, right? If we don't view our giving of our money as an act of worship, then, it, then, then it's not going to be worship for us. It's going to become something else. It's going to become easing our conscience. It's going to become trying to let people know how, we, how much we give so that people will admire us. It's going to be so basically a, um, a form of self-righteousness. It's going to become an obligation. It's going to become a burden. The Macedonians' giving of their money was the natural outflow of them giving themselves to God. And we see that because they not only gave of what they had, but it says that then they gave more. They gave beyond their means in verse 5, of their own accord. It was worship. You see, we must be honest with ourselves about our money. We must be honest with where we spend it and what that says that we believe. Money and parenting, I have come to find, are the two most taboo issues of discipleship in our local culture. It it, it might extend to our country, our state. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying, as I have found in the last eight years, nine years now that we've been back in Bakersfield, that talking about parenting with people and talking about their money are the two most taboo issues. Talk to me about anything, but don't talk to me about my money. It's personal. Telling you how much I make is personal. That's none of your business. Addressing me on how I parent my kids is none of your business. Our heart quickly begins to build defenses 
against the people who want to talk to us about our money and about our parenting. So we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to be honest to the point that not only do we look at where we spend money, which means frugally that we have a budget, practically that we have a budget, but then it means that we're open to seeing what it says about what we believe. Trace your money. Trace your money. It'll tell you what you value. Follow the path of where all your money... Listen, giving, giving, saving, spending, budgeting has nothing to do with how much you make. If, if you don't, I counsel people all the time, if you can't save when you're making $1,000 a month, you're not going to save when you make $10,000 a month. Because it's not in how much money you're making, how much money you're spending, it's in how you view your money. I was having a conversation the other day at work with somebody that makes a ton of money. ton of money. And we were talking about this very thing, and he's like, you know what? It's got nothing to do with how much money you make because the more money you make, the more money you're going to spend. The more money you're going to spend. Spending money isn't sinful. Spending money isn't wrong. In fact, he goes on in um, chapter, actually I believe it's in chapter 9 where Paul spends two, two chapters of this letter to the Corinthians talking about giving. And he says to them um, that... Um, he, he tells them that you're not to give at the expense of your own family, right? That's not the point. The point isn't that we are so sacrificial in our giving, and we're going to talk about giving sacrificially in this series, but it's not that we're so sacrificially giving that we, we cause our own family to hurt. But what it is, it means that we, we understand and we want to give our money as worship before it is that we want to pad our own comfort and our own idolatries. You guys are familiar with the story of the rich young fool in Luke chapter 12? The young guy comes up to, or uh, Jesus tells a parable, excuse me, of a young guy that's doing good in business, right? He's done good, he's young. And he's done so well in business that the barns that he has made won't contain all of the, the, the fruit that he has to harvest. And so he says to himself, and I love how the Bible says this, self, he says, self, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build up bigger barns, and I'm going to store all of this, and I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to take it easy. And then Jesus' response is, you fool, today your life will be required of you. So here's John Piper's comments on that parable. He says, it means God, it means count God as your riches. If you are looking about for where to be, right, to, where to be rich, focus on God. He is your great reward. He is your riches. Therefore, laying up for yourself treasures in heaven will be living in such a way as to maximize God as your treasure. Handle your money in such a way as to show that God and not money is your treasure. Where your treasure is, this is what Piper's saying, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If you want to begin to give, you recognize in your life that you're not a good giver. You don't give obediently. You don't give adequately. Then don't focus on your budget first. Don't focus on your income. Don't focus on your expenses. Focus on your God. See how big God is. Trust deeper in the sovereignty of God to care for you. 
rely on the completed work of Jesus to forgive you and sanctify you. You want to be a bigger giver, then understand that the God you worship is a big God, unlike any other God. There is one thing that motivates the heart to give sacrificially and generously, and that is God. That is having a right understanding of who God is and what He has done. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be times where we struggle to give. This is discipleship. We remind ourselves of the truths of who God is and how big He is, and we remind one another. And the more we stare at God, the more we dive into the depth of our depravity and our helplessness outside of God overcoming our resistance to Him, the more we embrace that, the more we love that, the more we place value on that, the easier it is to give worshipfully. Here's the second thing that it practically means. So we have to practically, the first thing, I'm sorry, let me recap. The first thing is that we practically have to understand that giving of our money is an act of worship. Giving of our money is an act of giving ourselves continually to God in light of who He is and what He has done. Okay? The second thing, practically, that it means is it means that we have to move to where we value eternity over the present. This is back to the excuse of I don't give because I don't make enough. It means that we value the present life, our present comfort. We value getting out of our present circumstances more than we value eternity and the inheritance and the blessing and the comfort and the security that we are assured through Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the beginning of this letter, Paul writes, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. You see, the Christian does not say, I refuse comfort and material possessions forever. The Christian says that I will strive to limit them now so that I can enjoy them eternally. You see, I love uh, John Piper's take on the prosperity gospel. He said that the prosperity gospel isn't wrong in what they promise. The prosperity gospel is wrong in when they promise it. There is a day where you will have an abundance of riches. There is a day where your faith in the past, in Christ, here on this earth, will mean that you will not be sick again. You will not be hindered again. It's just that that doesn't come until Jesus comes back. That, those aren't the promises that we see here on earth. We see, we see, we see glimpses of those, right? Right? We see glimpses of those in God's blessing and fatherly care for us. But we don't see it permanently. We don't see it perfectly. We don't see it perfected here. But we will see it when he comes back. And so in order to give worshipfully, we must value eternity over the present. 
And you know what? This really does mean, listen, as simple as this says, I, the reason I chose that verse in 1 Corinthians, I love how it says that they, they behaved in the world with simplicity. That's a part, this last year we sat down as a family, and I encourage all of you guys to do this as family. And we came up with a family mission statement. And it starts that may we live, it's kind of like a prayer, if you will. May we live simple lives. By God's grace, we want our lives to be marked by simplicity. Because we want to be able to use our resources so that as many as possible would be saved. And that's how our statement ends. There's some more in the middle, but that's the beginning and the end. I believe if I have it right, it's may we live simple lives of joy and gratitude towards God as we love one another so that as many as possible would be saved. There will be times where you will be wanting to make a purchase and you will actually have to practically, in your mind, remind yourself, this isn't necessary. I can afford it. I can. It's not sinful. But I would rather give to this. I would rather continue to give to this as an act of worship. And you can only do that when you remind yourself that eternity with God in His presence, under His direct care and blessing, is far more valuable than the things that your hearts long for here on this earth. The third thing that it means is it means that we work hard and we earn money honestly. You see, we cannot give worshipfully of our money if we come by dishonest earnings. We cannot give of our money worshipfully if we are lazy and we don't work. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, so let him work hard, doing honest work with his own hands. Work hard. Make your money honestly. Now listen, I'm going to challenge you because I know a lot of us in here do work hard, but what this means is this means the entire time you're on the clock, you're working hard. It means the entire time you're at work, you're not constantly uploading your Facebook profile, updating your Facebook profile and tweeting unless you're on your break and that's okay with your employer. That's not working hard. That's stealing. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather, rather than stealing, let him work hard and honestly with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you realize that there is, an, in, in God's providing for us and in God's giving us of our jobs and our income, that, that is written in, the intent is written in, that we have enough left over to give to those in need? Do you know that? But you see, if we only view tithing as the floor, then we hit our 10%. And when a need arises, we get to tap out because we say, hey, uh-uh. God said 10. I'm good. In fact, I even rounded up this month, so I'm a little over. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. That's from the New Living. Also from the New Living in Proverbs 16, 8, Better to have little with godliness 
than to be rich and dishonest. In order for us to give worshipfully, we have to have a proper view of our work and why we work. We don't work to pay the bills. We work to glorify God. God instituted work and creation before the fall. I know we all want to say it was after the fall because then we could justify hating our jobs, hating getting up, hating, right? We can't. Working hard and earning honest money means being grateful for your job, not complaining about it, finding ways in front of other employees when they're, when they're being dishonest or when they're complaining and being lazy, correcting it in a loving way. It means being different from them, not engaging in the talk. And honestly, if we were to be honest, it means putting the company's needs above our own personal needs. That is working hard and earning honest money. Much of our charitable giving is done from a feeling of guilt or a feeling of have to. But giving worshipfully is not giving from an a feeling of obligation, but it's giving as an act of worship. It's recognizing who God is and what He has done is enough to sustain me so no matter what I give, God will cover me if I'm giving wisely. And too often we want to curl up and say, well, I can't give because then my family goes without. And the reality is, is if we look at all the fluff and the expendable um, Uh, disposable income that we have that tells the truth of our heart. Much of our non-giving is done from a sense of selfishness and comfort. So as we move into communion this morning, may we repent. If we do not view worship as, excuse me, if we do not view our giving, if we have not been giving as an act of, of worship as an act of giving of ourselves and an act of trusting God in who He is and what He has done. May we repent from being stingy and selfish with our money and caring more about the things that we want that make us happy, that fulfill our needs, while others go without. If you'll stand with me, we'll pray. We'll do communion the same this morning as we... As we always do, they're on each side of the room at any time during these two songs. Um, Please feel free to make your way over, get communion, come back to your chair. I'll remind you parents and um, that um, with the kids that are in here today, if if they haven't uh, professed belief in Christ and your your missional community hasn't confirmed and the church hasn't confirmed that, then please, uh, out of love for them, have them not partake of communion with us. Let's pray.